my friend. Thanks so much for coming out. I tell you what, I'm going to let you find a nice calm station to play while we hang out here by the fire. I'm going to run back inside and get the carafe of coffee. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Hey, this is Season 17, Episode 361. This is the audio portion of the video program, Other Things With, and this episode features Other Things With Keith Moore. This episode for me is like time travel. Keith Moore had a major impact on my life as a young man right out of high school. He was a youth associate pastor, and I was an intern under his care. And Keith invested in my life and is a real difference maker in my life. And so I was so thrilled to have him on the show. And again, it's like time travel, but I bring up some things that he said all the way back 40 plus years ago and to see how his vision and his desires shape together to become the life that he is living to this day. And so you're going to be inspired by it. Also, something that came out of the show that was not orchestrated, there was nothing pre prearranged or pre-planned or discussed, but there is a theme that is woven through it, having stick to It's a word that he made up all those years ago, but you're going to hear about that. But the overarching theme of that idea is the biblical concept as he brings out in the show of perseverance and how God blesses perseverance. And so my friend, right now, these are difficult times in our world. Uh, The world is in turmoil. The world is in crisis. But against that backdrop of all of this mayhem, that the Spirit of God is saying, hey, stick to it. Have stick to itiveness. Stay the course. Trust God. Love people. Honor Christ. And everything's going to work out just great. You can't fail when you go with God. And so I want you to listen to this podcast. And my friend, if you've already seen the video program, I will encourage you that it is a different experience to listen to the audio portion. I've been through this show many, many times working on the edit. And I can tell you that I am inspired to listen to it and to watch it again because I've learned so much and continue to learn so much from what came out of Keith, what he shared as he was transparent in this broadcast. So anyway... Enjoy. This is Other Things with Keith Moore. By the way, you can find Other Things with on YouTube since they've instituted handles, what they call handles. Go to youtube.com forward slash the at symbol and then type in other things with dot dot dot. That will take you to the home base for this video program for Other Things with. So it's pretty cool. They finally did that to help uh, the broadcasters. And it's been a huge difference to give us actually an address now. So if you go to the www.youtube.com forward slash at other things with dot, 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 that'll take you to the home base. Also, the link to the video program will be contained in the show notes here as well. Anyway, listen to it. Also, I want to invite you, ask you to share this with others. People need a word of encouragement. And the whole point of Guat.Rocks is advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. And in plain terms, that means advancing the peace of Christ amidst all the mayhem. And so people are hurting. People are desperate. People are depressed. People are scared. And against that backdrop, we exist to say, wait, there is a reason to be hopeful. There is a reason to be encouraged. There is a reason to be optimistic. And his name is Jesus. So do us a favor. I would appreciate it if you would tell others about this program. And friend, if this program is having an impact on you, you can help support what we're doing financially. There's a link in the show notes to donate. I would definitely appreciate it. But anyway, here it is, Other Things with Keith Moore. Enjoy. I'm so excited to have this special guest. This is Other Things with Keith Moore. Keith is the founding pastor, and he's still the pastor at Dogwood Church in Georgia. And in addition to that, I know Keith from my distant past, and he is one of my dear friends and one of the key mentors and guides and leaders in my life. And so I want you to give a warm welcome to Keith Moore. What's going on, Keith? Well, hey, Kenny, it's great to be with you. Um, And um, just glad, thrilled to be here. It's great to see you and talk to you. Well, it's good to hear your, your Georgia accent. I tell you, on Keith's website on the uh, 
there's a the ministry that they have and the the ministry i think it says chicken fried uh productions let me see i've got it written down here oh no uh, yeah no yeah country fried creative is the the website for real life center which is one of their ministries one of their massive ministries and i thought well my friend you know you're in georgia when the website is designed by chicken fried creative so <laughs> yes that's true but i i tell you keith and i i've known keith since i was a teenager and to give a background on on how we came together uh, i was a, a just i just graduated from high school serving on the youth staff at first baptist church in Euless, which is now called cross city church and keith was one of the the senior staff members that I reported to under the the, the main uh, youth pastor. Keith was an associate working on a seminary degree. And so Keith and I had the, the massive privilege of serving together on that youth staff. And the summer of 78, Keith was the lead that was sent ahead to San Marcos Baptist Academy. It was called that at the time in San Marcos, Texas, to do the preparation for the sports fields and just to make sure that the camp was ready to receive hundreds and hundreds of, of kids and sponsors. And so I had the privilege, Keith asked me if I would go with him to help set things up. So uh, Keith has been a key influence in my life and one of the men that God placed in my life at an early age to shape and form me. And so to have a privilege to to hang with Keith, uh, especially that, that summer was amazing. So uh, that's where we start, Keith. But at that time you were 25 uh, at the beginning of summer and you turned 26 in August, but I would, and we can talk more about uh, that summer event if you want to, a lot of funny things happened there, but uh, let's, let's go ahead and get into what happened to you post-seminary, because I lost track with you for quite a while, but you left First Baptist Church, so uh, just kind of give us a, an overview of the progression from that youth staff to where you are today at Dogwood Church. Just kind of give us a background on how you got to where you are. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Kenny. Um, gosh, let me let me just give you like the 30,000-foot the flyover of those, uh, well, now almost, I guess, almost 43 years uh, uh, since then, or over 40 years at least. Um, Allison and I, uh, while we were serving there, um, on the team and in the church family at First Baptist of Eulis, uh, uh, the clarity of God's call to be a, a senior pastor uh, became a reality for us. Our pastor there, our one of our, you know, you're one of your heroes and mine, uh, Dr. Jimmy Draper, helped walk me through that. And so in... Um, in the fall of 1981, uh, I I got a call from a pastor by the name of Dr. Ike Rigard, uh, still a dear friend, who at that time was serving as the first uh, as the senior pastor of uh, the New Hope Baptist Church in uh, Fayetteville, Georgia, which is a South Atlanta suburb. Uh, he asked. Uh, if I would come and be one of the uh, associate pastors on the, on the staff there, and that was a step in that direction to to being a senior pastor. And so Allison and I, in February of 1982, uh, moved to Fayetteville, Georgia, and we served on the staff of that church for five years. Uh, then uh, got a call to to plant a church. We we sensed God leading us to plant a church and. Uh, we had a wonderful uh, support system. We can talk more about that later if you wish. But uh, we, uh, uh, at the five-year mark, uh, our interest and the interest of New Hope Baptist, where we were serving in in new church planting, surfaced again at the same time because the area in which we were growing was very was uh, uh, where we were living was fast growing. And so they asked us to uh, phase out of the responsibility we had there, take about six months while laying the foundation for a new church in the other end of the county in the Peachtree City area, Peachtree City in Tyrone, Georgia area, about 10, 15 miles away from uh, the, the sending church, New Hope. 
And so we said, hey, we'll we'll pack while you pray. That sounds good. <laughs> and so uh, in, uh, we began in the summer of 1986, laying the foundation, um, and then held our first core group meetings in uh, uh, January of 1987, first public services that spring. And so we've been here in um, at this church uh, ever since, since uh, really the summer of 1986. So now, for those who don't know about ministry and pastoring, um, it's one thing to start a church. Uh, most people might be shocked that in most cases, it's hard to stay at the church you start. Um, normally, there's like they call the whitewater years from years like five to seven, and things uh, get you know can get difficult and uh, egos and just personalities and the work of the devil, et cetera. And so I think it's a strong testimony to how Keith is in the fact that he started the church uh, so long ago, and yet he is still the active senior pastor, uh, preaches there, leads uh, to this day. And so uh, to me, that's encouraging, especially having grown up in the ministry and seen so many you know, things bomb out, uh, to know someone that actually had a vision to do something big and has actually seen it through and is still seeing it through is a huge story. So uh, where did you, now Peachtree City is where you first started, correct? Yes, um, Fayette County, the western side of Fayette County, which is a little bit south, southwest of the Atlanta airport. Uh, again, we're in the, the suburban donut around Atlanta. Uh, you could say we're base housing for Delta Airlines, Chick-fil-A and uh, and now the uh, now the movie industry, the film industry uh, that's come to Georgia. We instead of Hollywood, we call it Yollywood. Now yeah. it's kind of yeah. yeah is, that other, of, is that because of Tyler Perry? He has uh, a huge studio there, doesn't he? Oh, well, he has a huge studio, but the film industry is that's a that's a that'd be a worth another podcast for somebody who knows much more mm -hmm. about it than me. Mm -hmm. But the film industry started coming this way years ago and now there are there are multiple major film studios uh here gollywood yollywood uh, <laughs> yes. oh yollywood okay yollywood yes yollywood instead of hollywood so uh but but uh Fayette, we uh, peachtree city is a uh, western edge of fayette county um a planned community about 60 years old and um uh, Tyrone, the city of Tyrone and Peachtree City sh share a, a city limit sign. Uh, Tyrone sits right on top of Peachtree City, so it's a you know very uh, very much of a unified area. But we 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 live in Peachtree City. We started the church there. Uh, we met in we met in schools for uh, uh, seven and a half years. Uh, first in a uh, an elementary school. Um, there um, called Huddleston Elementary, where it was a great, great experience. We're there two years and outgrew that and moved to McIntosh High School. Um, also, all of these in the, the Fayette County school system and the great relationships with all of the administrators and Board of Education. I'm very thankful for them uh, giving us so much time and then we built our first campus uh, in the south end of Peachtree City. We're there 11 and a half years and then relocated uh, to the north end of Peachtree City, south end of Tyrone. Our campus actually straddles the city limits of, of both cities. Our address is actually uh, Tyrone, Georgia now. Uh, all of our buildings are in, in that city. Uh, in that city limits, and so we we moved re relocated to this campus and uh, occupied first uh, facility there in two thousand five. Two thousand five. Yeah. So now, what I remember when I had the chance to visit you there in Peachtree City, where you were on that first campus, that even at that time you had uh, a vast. I like to use the word robust. It's a it's a big word. Robust is a great word. It's a great word. But you had a robust ministry even at that time in that location. And I remember that you had uh, a repair garage uh, that ministered to people. I think a lot of single moms who have cars that need to get mm -hmm. to work and that type of ministry. And you're still 
looking at your website, and we'll have all of this information on the show notes, Keith's ministry website and uh, all of that, but still doing it in spades and uh, just a real prolific ministry of not just the spiritual aspect, but the, the physical and mental and social aspects of a person. But uh, so it's become large. And I looked at your website and you have, uh, counting the board of elders, you have a total of 50 key leaders. That doesn't count all the other people, you know, continuing to carry out the ministry. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about that, just where God has brought you to at this point, fast forward, you know, 40 plus years there at that same church, you know, where is your church at this point with um, what your vision is, you know, for the next year and, and what God's doing and, and talk about all these things that God is doing. Cause it's amazing. Well, um, I guess, uh, Kenny, I guess I'll pass along to you just uh, thoughts. None of these are original with me. You know, you've heard me say since we first met, uh, I've never had an original thought, but <laughs> I'm a great, I'm a great researcher and, uh, um, uh, and thief of other persons, uh, great, great ideas, um, uh, that pretty much that's still the, the, the case, um, I, I think we're fundamentally doing the same things that we we did at the beginning, just in in ways that now fit the context that we in which we find ourselves uh, today. Um, I was I was you know greatly influenced by all of my pastors growing up and and those that I served with uh, as I as I look back. I don't know. I don't know who the smart person was who first said we live our lives forward, but we understand it backward. Uh, but whoever they whoever they were, yes. Uh, as I look back, I realized uh, most of my home church pastors, where I grew up in the First Baptist Church of Bremen, Georgia, wonderful, healthy uh, church. Most of them uh, were were missionaries. Uh, my the the pastor Dr. Grover Tyner, who uh, baptized me as a nine-year-old boy, left our church to go to the Philippines and served as the president of the Philippine Baptist uh, Seminary for many many years. Great, you know, great missionary. Uh, my my home pastor, who had such uh, influence on me as a teenager and a college student, uh, Dr. Uh, he his name is Bill Clinton. He's my Bill Clinton, <laughs> um, and uh, he he came off the uh, mission field in Brazil after twenty years as a missiologist and mission strategist with what we would now call our International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but he came to this small town in Georgia, and without ever using the language, he did local church ministry from a missiological perspective not so much from a programmatic perspective. Now, I didn't understand that at the time. I just knew that we had a healthy church. Um, and so I, I, the church that I served as a youth minister while my wife Allison was finishing uh, finishing college for three years was Pastor Cecil Johnson, another missionary who came, he and his wife Dot, both in heaven now um, for for years. Uh, they came off the mission field because he had an illness, but they were in Chile and Mexico for all about 20 years. He did the same thing. He did local church ministry from a missiological perspective. Again, he never said those words to me. But now looking back, I realize that's what, what he did in First Baptist Church of Cedartown, Georgia, which was uh, very similar. And then... Uh, we got to go to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and then uh, joined First Baptist Church of Euless, Texas. And, of course, you know, had our wonderful pastor and staff and church there that were on mission. Um, Dr. Jimmy Draper and his wife, Carol Ann, and all of the great things that were happening there. And then uh, in the seminary, uh, it, it was a, another setting of revival and awakening. But I can remember sitting in the in the classroom with uh, the missions professor taking our required missions class. His name was Dr. Cal Guy, and he was a crusty old Southern Baptist missionary who'd come out of the, I think out of Indonesia maybe, 
but then had been teaching missions at the seminary. And I can remember one day he said uh, to us, oh, there's about 40 people in the class, pretty big class at that time. And he said, uh, how many of you men and women in here are missions volunteers? And that's what we called them in the day, people who were preparing to be missionaries cross-culturally or internationally. And about about 10 people in the class raised their hand. So the vast majority said, all the rest of you, I'm assuming, are planning on serving local churches in North America. Yes. And then he just stopped and he said, I want to I want to encourage you. And then he gave me this language I've been using. He said, I want to encourage you to do local church ministry in North America from a missiological perspective and methodology. And, and he began to describe it. And we were reading books in his class then by Dr. Donald McGavern, Dr. Peter Wagner, uh, those guys out of Fuller Seminary who were great missiologists and taking the great mission principles out of the book of Acts and the ministry of the mission ministry of the Apostle Paul and uh, interpreting them for us. And all of that, a lot of that clicked. I realized that's what my pastors did. Um, and so I guess the, I guess the, uh, uh, the icing on the cake came when, as we were pursuing this call to church planting, I attended a church planting conference sponsored by what then we called the Home Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, now called the North American Mission Board. And uh, there I had a tall, skinny, blonde-headed guy walk up to me and to a mutual friend. And our friend said, now you two guys know each other, don't you? You're in school together. And we looked at each other and said, no, we've never met. And he stuck out his hand and he said, hi, I'm Rick Warren. And he said, I'm the next presenter. And he was about five years into that miracle out at Saddleback Church, and he just told the story. And he gave a real-life example of somebody planting a church and building it from, again, biblical, missiological perspective and principles rather than just programmatic, rather than church in a box. And I thought, my as I listened to him, I thought my heart was going to beat out of my chest. But... And so I learned a lot from Rick about what that looks might look like in North America, what the principles are. Now, our church is, it looks differently because we're in a different context, and it should look different from Saddleback, except we have the same biblical purposes of the church. So we started the church just trying the best we could to fulfill a biblical vision for a local church wherever God placed us. And so we, we, we've just been pursuing you know, evangelism and discipleship and fellowship and ministry and worship. Um, and to make that available to all people, um, far from God people and close to Jesus people. And and so in one sense, we're just doing the same old thing we've done since 1987. Um, we 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 keep coming back to are are we doing what the Lord Jesus wants us to do as a church to accomplish those those purposes for people? So when in our in our annual or every two year or five year planning, when people say, "Now what we're going to do next year, Pastor?" I, they they just grin and say, "The same thing we we've been doing. We're just going to figure out a way to do it better." <laughs> so we think in terms of outcomes rather than activity. Um, uh, is is so our calendar stays fairly. There's a lot of white space on our calendar. Uh, because we're not event driven, but we are outcome and ministry process and system driven to to accomplish those things. And um, so that that has, I guess, if someone examined our church family now, Kenny, that would be. Um, I would just say what you're seeing is the results of a 37 year experiment or attempt to 
to accomplish God's purposes in the context in which He placed us through this local church. I'm not sure how good we've been at it, um, but that is what we've been trying uh, to do. And so some of these things have driven us, for example, to to create the ministry that you you mentioned, the Real Life Center, our need meeting ministry to the community. That That's one of the results. Yeah, and I tell you, Keith, I, I think back to a time you and I, I think we're going on uh, the church bus with no air conditioning over to, I think it was like the Tarrant uh, Baptist Association Evangelism Rally for the students or something. And uh, I remember asking you, well, Keith, what do you want to do when you get out of seminary? And uh, you looked at me and you said, brother, he said, you said, I want to do good to as many people as I can before I go to be with the Lord. And that's always stuck with me, Keith. And I, I look at your life and, and you're doing that. And I tell you, it's even in small things and maybe someone you know, without my background wouldn't notice. But if you go to Dogwood Church website, you have to look to find Keith. And that is Keith to where, you know, a lot of the, the, the mega churches, you go to the website, there's the pastor's picture front and center. He's got his story and all of these things. And I can tell you, knowing Keith, that it's who he is, that he's a part of the team. He's the founder. He's the leader. He takes responsibility. But truly, it's encouraging in this time travel because it's just like yesterday that Keith and I were together in my Honda Civic 1200cc 12-inch <laughs> tires going down the road to San Marcos. I, I will tell this kind of fits in because this is a context. Um on the trip down, you know, I was young, I was thrilled to be with Keith and, you know, the male ego is like, I'm going to drive, even though really I probably should have said, Hey, you know, Keith's the older adult, you know, want to drive, but man, I'm going to drive us down there and no air conditioning the beginning of uh, summer. And, uh, so I'm driving and I started falling asleep. And fortunately it was, it was late because we got a late start. I think it was on Friday night because Keith had school responsibilities at the seminary. And so I'm driving and it's a pretty much a straight shot. Thank the Lord to San Marcos. <laughs> but I woke up somewhere down the freeway, not sure where I was, uh, but I hadn't drifted and I just was panicked because I'm thinking, okay, I don't even know where I am on the map. And so I'm trying to keep together. Finally, uh, I realized I'm, I'm going to fall asleep. Something serious again, if something serious is going to happen, I'd fall asleep several times. So I said, Keith, uh, I said, well, you don't want to drive for a while. He said, sure. So he drove, we got there. Now fast forward, when I went to visit Keith at the location at Peachtree City, his first, where they had buildings, uh, he had us over uh, for lunch after the, the Sunday morning service. And I confessed to him that I had fallen asleep at the wheel several times that night. And then Keith, you remember what you told me? You were at the other end of the, the lunch table. You don't remember? Uh, he looked at me and he said, well, I have a confession to make. I fell asleep too. I mean, while he was driving. And so, you know, we started laughing, thinking, uh, wow. I mean, it's a wonder. I mean, seriously, that something didn't happen that night, but it was hot. You know, the wind we're going, you know, 55 miles an hour. That was the speed limit back then. Uh, I want to tell this story because it is hilarious. We get to San Marcos and neither we were supposed to be at the, uh, encampment and a guy that went by the name of Sarge, he was the, the facilities director. I don't know if you remember Sarge. Yes. But Sarge told Keith, okay, I'm going to have one of the, they had dormitories, really nice dormitories, sort of, sort of like an external hotel, you know, for the students first class. And he says, I'm going to have room so-and-so open for you, for you to, to sleep there for the weekend. So we get there. And by this time it's like, I don't know, three or four o'clock in the morning. And we go to that, that building we check that room number and it's locked. So Keith says, well, maybe he just got the room number wrong. We walked around that entire building and checked every door and we were locked out. And we didn't, I don't think we had Sarge's home phone number. So here we are middle of the night. Keith said, well, we've got to go find some place to stay brother. So I said, good. So we go to the, the holiday inn or whatever, right off the freeway, major, I think 35, uh, anyway. And they said, well, we don't have any rooms. And looking at each other like, how can you, this is San Marcos, Texas. How can you not have rooms? <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so 
we're standing there and saying, well, what's going on? And they said, well, there's a big, I think it was a car show convention and they filled up all the hotels here. And Keith said, well, can you check? So they called a couple of places. No, they're all full. So we said, well, what can we do? And they, the clerk said, well, you may check with the, the, the women's university here in San Marcos that in the summertime, they'll rent out uh, dormitory rooms. So we thought, you know, I think they called for us and said, yeah, they got rooms. So at the same time we're standing there, this other gentleman kind of came up and he was quite intoxicated. I mean, the smell of alcohol was strong. Mm. And so he said, well, I guess I'll go there too. And Keith looked at him and said, well, do you want to share a room? And I'm going, what's Keith doing? We don't know this guy. And, uh, Keith, you know, we were both on, I I probably had no money with me. Keith was limited. So the guy's like, okay. So we go over to the dormitory and they give us the keys. And fortunately it was like a four pod to where it had four individual rooms with a central living area. And Keith was like, you know, just kind of give me some heads up and let's just be careful. And, you know, everything should be fine, but, uh, and there's two of us and all this stuff. And it was so funny because the guy went in the room first he goes to a pod and then we hear this click and Keith looked at me and he said, brother, he's more afraid of us than we're afraid of him. He's locked himself <laughs> in his room. Do you remember that? Oh yes. Oh yes. I mean, that, that is indelibly imprinted in my mind, but from that time, uh, this desire to, to do good to as many people as you can has stuck with me, Keith. And I, I think your life has modeled that and to God be the glory. I tell you something else you said to me during that time. Um, I was going through a difficult time in life, not difficult, but you know, seeking God, frustrated. And Keith looked at me and finally said, Kenny, here's what you need. And I said, What? He said, You need to develop some stick to And I said, What? And he goes, Well, it's not actually a word, I don't think. He said, But I call it stick to He said, You learn, you need to learn to stick with something and see it through. It was life transforming from that moment. I've never forgotten that phrase. And so that, that type of influence, but, uh, I tell you, Keith, and, and looking at your ministry, I see that to this day. Um, do you sense that? I mean, well, the, uh, I guess there's a, I guess there is a Bible word for that is perseverance. And um, and and I, you know, I, I think we we all need the Lord the the Lord Jesus to give us that. I, I I think certainly there are human beings just born naturally, and they have a greater tendency than some of us others do. But but evidently, there the, this character quality of perseverance. Um, maybe the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness, not just believing the right things, but sticking with it. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and um, putting our hand to the plow and not looking back. And, and all of those, all of those uh, biblical references, um, I, I think if we walk, if we walk with the Lord, um, Abide in Him, as the John 15 says, or, 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 or one of my shade tree. Uh, I've got a buddy who's a, he says he's a East Tennessee hillbilly with a PhD, and uh, he still talks like an East Tennessee hillbilly. He's wonderful. But he, he said that he defined that abiding in Christ is getting as close to Jesus as you possibly can and staying there. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good definition. I think if we get as close as we can to Jesus and do the things to stay there, uh, I think he develops in us stick to or perseverance or to stay with the things he's called us to or the, the commitments that matter, the relationships that matter to our, to our wives, to our children, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to, to the Lord, to the ministry he's called us to. And, um, and then also, um, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, but not completely. 
if the Lord, for me, if he calls you to something and you never have any opportunity to do anything else, it's pretty easy to s stick with it. Uh, uh, but I think that's a blessing too. You know, I, I've really, I've really only had one serious contact from a church in all the years I've been here from another church. Um, and so I've not been distracted uh, by that. Um, I don't know all the reasons that we're still here in the 37th year. Um, um, most of them have to do with the Lord's faithfulness. And our church, we love our church. We have a wonderful church family. And, um, you know, they, they make it easy to want to be here. That, that, that's, that's, that's that's pretty nice. And um, I, I, not everybody has that experience, and I'm very grateful that we have. And um, so, but again, all of those wonderful pastors that I mentioned, almost every one of them said to me, if you can just get the Lord to let you stay a long time, you're going to like it. If you can just get the Lord to let you stay in one place a long time, you're going to like it, and 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 the church, the ministry will tend to be healthier, and the church will be healthier, and um, and there there'll be a lot of even secondary benefits that that you don't see now, and so even at the beginning. Um, those voices that the Lord blessed me with, who were much wiser and much closer to Him and much more experienced um, than me, all said that same thing. All said that same thing. Um, and so I thought, well, okay, well then, Lord, uh, let us do that if you will. And uh, and so far He has, and it's it, it, I'm very thankful. Amen. I tell you, uh, it's taken me uh, the kind of personality type that I am, uh, real inquisitive, constantly seeking, learning. And it, it's taken me a long time to really find my niche, as they say, or my, mm -hmm. we used to say when I was a kid, my niche. But yeah. uh, uh, I finally came to realize that I'm kind of like a, in the military, be kind of a lone wolf, you know, a, a solo operator. I believe in the the local church. I believe in the mission of the church, the great commission that the Lord has given to the church. And I work in support of that, but it, it took me some time to finally figure out that I was to be someone to, to address the church and the culture. Um, but early on, and I still have stuff that I wrote that God in one of my prayers was, and it was for the purpose of influence and to, to impact the community the way that you have done is that, Lord, you know, I want to be the pastor of a mega church so that we can do the very things you're doing. And, you know, God did not allow me to do that. But I look back and see why. Mm -hmm. um, and I tell you, I had someone speaking in my life, and I'm still friends with her, friends with her to this day. I just spoke to her on the phone the other night. Uh, Dave is, I guess, right at 80 years old now. It's like yesterday. You know, we were all young. But uh, early on, this was back when I was at First Baptist Church in Euless on the youth staff. I mean, I guess a little bit older at the— Mission Church, uh, First Baptist Church South, and I'd reached her and her husband through her daughter, Mary Lou, and one day they were, one evening they were in our home, and she said, Kenny, I don't see you staying in the local church, and I was like, I was kind of insulted, kind of had my feelings hurt, and I said, why? And she said, I, I don't think that's where you fit in, where you belong, and for a long time, it it, it kind of bothered me, like, why would she say that? I'm her associate yeah. pastor for, you know, worship and, and uh, Sunday school and stuff. But then I came to find out, well, no, that that's the truth. I mean, God was speaking to me. So, you know, we kind of go on a different path. But um, anyway, so, but I look back and as you call out these men who are key influences in your life, you're definitely one of the top five. I mean, Jimmy Draper, you, Tony Dyer, Richard Dato, uh, and even Skip Hildebrand. You remember Skip? Oh, yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. And I tell you, I think I've said this on podcasts before, but Skip's the one as a sixth grader, he became my Sunday school teacher when Mr. Dennis, a dear friend of mine's father, he was our Sunday school teacher, passed. And Skip came in and said, I want to grow our class, but we really need to have someone go with me. 
would any, would any of you boys go? Because the kids are going to more relate to you. And so through that, through that invitation, um, I started learning how to knock on doors. And so really mm-hmm. that's kind of the key list. I think I, I can't think of as far as in my early development, but, uh, I, I tell you, let me ask you this, uh, something you said, a couple of things that sparked in my mind that I like your attitude, what you expressed, the way you describe and look at people, people who are uh, far from God and people who are near to God. But in that is the implication that the people on the planet in this age of grace, where God is withholding his wrath against our sin and giving every person on the planet the opportunity to come to Christ. I think it's a great way of looking at people that Mm -hmm. uh, instead of, you know, in a much more negative fashion, but I think it's biblical also because the Bible, you know, says today is the day of salvation. You know, don't, don't harden your heart. I mean, respond to the call. So to me, that stood out. Uh, Also, um, I wrote something else here. You, you remember, uh, you know, there was the movie came out here a while back about Chuck Smith, the Jesus revolution. And when you were on staff at first Baptist church, Euless, we were there together. We were, really a part of that wave at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I think we were seeing miraculous things happening as far as an outpouring in the youth culture um, that you and I even witnessed. And uh, let me ask you, you know, since that time, I, I noticed on your website, talking about one of the, the key you know, principles that you, you live by has to do, you know, life in the spirit. And I feel that same way. Uh, explain to me, uh, you know, how do you see that manifesting itself in in your life, in the the church culture, in the community? Uh, because I tell you, and maybe, you can, and I'm being honest, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but in the Southern Baptist life, there wasn't a lot of talk about life in the spirit. It was kind of relegated to what back then we would call the charismatic movement, that type of thing. But I think that we were harmed by the fact of not really emphasizing life in the spirit. So where are you with that today, Keith, in your personal walk and the the way you lead your church? Okay. Thanks, uh, Kenny. Sure. I, my experience um, is, is only my experience. You know, I don't, I don't know what was happening other, other places, but I had really great teaching and discipleship on, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, it was, um, and and it was from um, probably a non a, a non Pentecostal, not a I don't want to say non Pentecostal. That's not a bad thing, but a a more of a um, a ba- a historic Baptist view, and I and the first person to communicate this to me was actually, uh, it, it came through the teaching of, of um, what then was called Campus Crusade for Christ in Dr. Bill Bright. Uh, you mentioned the movie Jesus Revolution and Chuck Smith. I went to see the thing, uh, and I went by myself because I didn't want anybody to see me. I cried through most of it because I it that was my experience. I experienced it. And uh, it was, it's, there were points in that movie, it was overwhelming. And, and then at the end, uh, they um, showed the, uh, uh, the scene at Explo 72 in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Well, I said, there I am. I was in the Cotton Bowl that night, that scene they showed with the candlelight service. And my friend, Alan Posey, who's still a pastor and still in ministry, we rode out together. We'd just finished our sophomore year in college. And thought this looks like this would be a great thing, and the Lord was working in our hearts and souls. And I, uh, I had made a recommitment of my life to Christ uh, after my graduation from high school in August of, uh, well, is August the ninth, nineteen seventy, uh, and and there was a renewal there, but I didn't know what to do with it. And so a couple of years, uh, almost two years had gone past, and, and my joys were up and down. My, if you charted my spiritual walk with Jesus, it looked like, you know, the great American scream machine at, at, at uh, Six Flags, you know, up and down. And the peaks would be the, 
the revivals, the youth retreats, the conferences when I'd recommit, you know, and then I'd slowly work my way down in the valley. I couldn't figure why all these ups and downs. Well, on Tuesday morning of that week of Explo 72, my quote small group of 800 uh, college students that I was assigned to met at uh, Wilshire Terrace Baptist Church in Dallas. And that morning, I think I got this right. I'm not certain, but I think the, the, the Campus Crusade main campus minister from the University of Kansas got up and he taught their classic Bill Bright little blue booklet, Have You Made the Wonderful Discovery of the Spirit-Filled Life. You ever seen that thing? I'm sure you have a million times. Uh, the, they called it the little blue booklet. It was the follow-up to the four spiritual laws. And it was the, the basic teaching on how to be filled with the Spirit and by faith. Um, uh, they talked about the problem of, of unconfessed, unresolved sin as a believer. I'd never heard that. I knew my sins were forgiven, but then I knew also knew I wasn't perfect, and I'm still sinning every now and then, and it's causing me problems and what I do with that. And uh, I, I couldn't just wait till the next revival to make a recommitment. You know, what, what in the world? All of a sudden, that made sense to me. And then they had us go take uh, a long period of time and go out all over that church campus and walk and, and take the principle of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And they communicated to me that that's not a salvation passage. That's a sanctification passage. Uh, it, and that uh, that's written to believers. That's what we do. This is how we deal with our sin uh, uh, as a believer and how we keep staying cleaned up and prayed up and confessed up. Um, and so they had us make that list. And man, I had a long list. This is it. This is why this is my this is my why I've got this inconsistency problem. And then, of course, we had Dr. Bright's little prayer of faith to be filled with the Spirit. And of course, he defined it in a, a classic evangelical way, uh, definition, uh, theological uh, perspective of to be filled with means to be yielded to, to con be controlled by, to be empowered by, to be directed by God the Holy Spirit. And so, and ask him to do that, and by faith. And so I, I did, and then they said, now this is the way, th then they taught us that lesson of, now, keep short accounts with God. Every day, don't get, let all this stuff build up. Keep, con you know, fessed up and yielded to the Spirit. And they said, basically, don't do it daily, do it moment by moment. I've never gotten over that one Tuesday morning lesson. And so that that is the, the the perspective. When when we were when I went to a church planting workshop that the North American Mission Board did when we were getting ready to plant the church, the man who was then the director of church new church planting, I don't even know what they called that position at that time, for Southern Baptist, I think his name was Dr. Redmond. Somebody helped me with this. He got up and he said his talk to us church planters was, he said, I don't care if you're Pentecostal, I don't care if you're charismatic, I don't care if you're mainline Protestant, I don't care if you're, 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 uh, you're a fundamentalist, I don't care if you're an evangelical, which means you're a fundamentalist who's not mad at anybody, you know, all that funny stuff. And he said, I don't care what you call, some of you call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you call it being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Some of you call it a second blessing. Some All these things he said, I don't care what you call it or when in what sequence you think it happens. Just figure it out and do it. <laughs> and um, you figure out how to live under the control of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and and never stop. And then he took us to Galatians and said, you know, if you walk by the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the desire of the flesh. So walk by the Spirit, 
you know, you're going to have some desires of the flesh, but you don't want to fulfill them. <laughs> so here's here's the here's God's here's God's plan: life in the Spirit. And so that's been a uh, that's been a daily and several times a day practice for me since that June morning in 1972. And and if you go to our church website and see that we believe that one of our core values is spirit filled living is the is the intended norm for every believer, uh, and uh, and and essential. And so, and what I just described is that daily, what Doctor Bill Bright would have called spiritual breathing, confessing our sins, being filled and, and being filled with the Spirit, consciously yielding ourselves to Him, uh, that we may walk with Him and be empowered, and then and then we can trust. Oh, that wonderful passage out of Philippians chapter 2, about, I don't know, down around 12, 13, something where I can't remember the exact address of the verse where it says, so the, it, is, it is he who is at work in you both to desire and do what pleases him. And then we can trust by faith. Oh, wow, he is at work in me both to motivate and enable me, both to give me the desire and the ability to, to obey him. Uh, as an act of worship and bring him pleasure and live this life. So, um, so we're constantly talking about that here. Well, you know, we've come in contact with some Puritan writing uh, through a couple of devotional books called Voices from the Past, Volume One, and Voices from the Past, Volume Two. It's been rich for me to come in contact with them. I mean, mm -hmm. all of these guys that. I'm just pouring through now that I never read before, but something that they point out is that if an individual doesn't feel that uh, inner prompting from the Holy Spirit and to be uh, what God wants us to be and to, to be uh, models of the Holy Spirit's ways, then it should call into question, do you really even know the Lord? I mean, if there's mm -hmm. never a prompting, internally to say, hey, you know, you're doing wrong or you need to make a change. There needs to be a shift in gears here. Uh, but coming alive to the things of the Spirit, and I think in the exact way that you view that, uh, I would hold to that same theological position. I tell you, as you were talking about that Explo, and I, for some reason I was heavily involved at the church at that time, but I missed it, and I'm so sad that I did. But I was in that flow uh, and you talking about your experience and God moving, and it takes me back, and it's really a place. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, it's like we just went somewhere. Do you know what I'm saying? I I'm do. Not be, yes, I'm not I do. Be mystical, but I'm saying that sense and that reality and seeing God move. And I tell you, my heart breaks today, Keith, because uh, the generations that are coming up have not seen that, and I'm eternally optimistic and hopeful. I got part of that from you. And that in spite of the way the world presently looks, and some have given up hope that there's going to be a, a third wave of revival, uh, that we are in the end of days. And I can't say that. I know a lot of the stuff looks that way, but I keep saying that if people were to take a snapshot of, of Germany on the rise and Hitler, we would have said then, well, I mean, this is the end. I mean, he has all the marks of the Antichrist. So I'm eternally optimistic that with prayer, that things can turn and the, the outpouring of evil we're seeing presently and everyone secular or religious is talking about it. We all see it. But at the same time, I know, and I, I liken it to cockroaches having grown up in Texas where we have huge cockroaches. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I do. That, uh, you know, what happens when you turn on the light? I mean, the cockroaches always scatter and Satan and his minions are like cockroaches. And so, we're not seeing a major outpouring of God's spirit and light. Uh, the churches are silent right now. I think it's the providence of God, providence of God. But at the same time, I do believe that as the, the, the people of God pray in the spirit and ask God for reprieve, that it, it can shock us how quickly that we can retract from the edge of where we are right now. Do you, do you sense that in your spirit or where are you in, in that? Well, I, you know, Again, never had a, never had an original thought, so here we go. You know, again, one guy that we both love, Dr. Jimmy Draper, 
uh, famously said, uh, and it sticks in my mind and other people, it's made it into print where he said, um, uh, given the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, it's always too soon to despair. And I don't, you know, I don't despair. Um, I was in a, and one of the things, some, some of my, uh, uh, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have a much better perspective on the whole world than we do. You know, I, I tend to just want to keep the, the porch, you know, things swept pretty clean around my own front porch. You know, it's hard for me to see beyond what's going on. But then when we realize what's happening in the rest of the world with the, the work of God moving is, is dramatic. It's dramatic. It's just old hard headed North Americans and Westerners that are, you know, throwing throwing up her hands and and uh, either Christians say throwing up her hands, say, oh no, what was me? Or the or the secularists saying, well, yeah, the you know, there's nothing to it when the rest of the world is being swept by the work of of Christ. So I'm in very encouraged by that. It's way too soon to despair, and uh, there's a whole lot of light even here in in the West. Um, there's a whole lot of darkness, but as far as the times, I was in a I was in a meeting uh, of um, folks in our denomination a few a couple of months ago, and uh, there was a guy. He was at least my age. Um, he, he looked at least as old as me, maybe older. Who was taking some questions, and the guy said, "Have have the times ever been as bad as this?" And and his answer was, he said, "How old are you?" <laughs> And this this uh, nice young person said, I'm 39. He said, well, uh, 1968 kind of comes to mind, and and 1862 kind of comes to mind, and he said, and 1941 to 1945 comes to mind, and he said, yeah, it's been a lot worse than this. You know, we're... Uh, we, we're not the only ones. And then, like you said, the rise of Hitler, uh, you know, I, uh, when I look back and think about the end times and guys get want to talk to me about that, I, I, uh, how can I say this? You know, the apostle Paul and all those old boys running around with him thought that was the end that, that the Lord was about to return. So I guess it, it could have, you know, it could have happened. I think it, you see, well, could it have happened then? Well, they thought it could, so I, I believe it could have. And they say, well, are, are you not less concerned about it then? I say, no, we're 2,000 years closer <laughs> to it. So uh, I think certainly we are to be living in the light of the Lord's imminent return, uh, as he said, that we may be found faithful. But then he does say what it looks like to be living in light of his imminent return or wrapping up the, the age of grace as you as you uh, described it uh, is just basically okay get get up every day and do the work you know get up every day and love god and love people and share the gospel and comfort the comfort those who are suffering and in my name and uh, train up train up the, the, the young Christians in the walk and encourage the mature saints to keep at it and worship me. And yeah, well, I tell you, I'm something's connecting here with me and, and God is doing this on a regular basis in these conversations that part of, I think what is occurring is what you've testified to is that 40 plus years later, uh, the game plan hasn't changed for you mm -hmm. and that you have stuck to the basics and that stick to itiveness, and you're carrying that out today, just like you did at the beginning, you're doing it larger. You're doing it more effective because you've learned and you're a student. And at the same time, if we want a prescription for, uh, this world that we live in, that we're seeing this chaos unroll is for the church. And Eric Metaxas talks about this in his book, The Letter to the American Church, to where the the, the solution in, immediately in our local communities and in your uh, your your beliefs 
I talk about the local church of Jesus is the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. And, and and you shared that with me, that the local church of Jesus is the hope of the world, that if someone who's watching this, this uh, video has a sense of despair or a sense of angst, a lot of depression, uh, depression is at an all-time high, mm-hmm. suicide is at an all-time high, drug addiction is at an all-time high. Uh, why are they doing this? Psilocybin, which Gavin Newsom de- vetoed the bill. Uh, but to think that the, the Congress for the state of California sent the bill to Gavin Newsom's desk to legalize magic mushroom, psilocybin, mescaline, and all of these, uh, the, what these call like the rave, uh, rage or rave dance drugs with uncontrolled. I mean, like the, the way they sell pot there, no restraints that, People are looking for relief, and especially magic mushrooms is not hallucinogenic in the same sense as like LSD. But what it does, and I heard a guy who came out of all that, but saying that it gives a sense of euphoria. And even one of these college professors who's touting that it should be at least legalized for, because right now it's not even legal for medical research. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still a class one drug. But even this guy who you could tell he is all for it is saying, well, but what... California had on the table the Newsom vetoed. Uh, he said is asking for death because he said you believe you can go to the top of a building and fly. But why is all of this happening? Because people are losing hope, they're losing mm-hmm. encouragement. And so the prescription is exactly what you've outlined, what you model is for us as individuals, as Christians, is to, and you said it, get up in the morning, put one foot in front of the other. And to do what God's called us to do, to be faithful in it, but then also for the church. And I would say to those listening, if you're a part of a church to where you become distracted, and a lot of churches are distracted with other things other than the basics, because a lot of times it's not as pretty, it's not as glamorous, it, it doesn't sell well necessarily. But I would encourage you just to be a catalyst in your own church to inspire or encourage others to, hey, let's get back to the and maybe it's just in the Sunday school class that you you go to or home Bible group or whatever. So mm-hmm. I think that's phenomenal. And uh, that's a pivot for, point for me today is that the hope is just stick to it. Keep doing what God has called us to do. And uh, I praise God for that. Kenny, uh, you, you know, I, uh, I mentioned my, my uh, East Tennessee hillbilly buddy. <laughs> He's... Um, uh, his name's Ron Barker. I don't know if he'll get to hear this. Ron uh, uh, is retired now up in the Carolinas, but just I love the way he says things. The way he would describe it, he said to me one time early on when we were planting the church, he said, now, Keith, don't take the pan off the fire before things have time to start frying. And he said, it, it takes time. He said, do the right things. Leave it there. Don't be jumping. Don't bail out too quick. Don't give up too quick. <laughs> Don't take the pan off the fire until things have time to start frying. And so I, that, for a guy who at one time in his life was described as not being able to sit still fast enough, that those kind of words are I need to hear. You sparking me a memory of the person who's the president of, of our board for our nonprofit and Mike Talley, uh, retired IRS agent. When I first mm-hmm. met Mike, he wouldn't tell me what he did for a living. <laughs> <laughs> you know what he said? He said, uh, I help make sure that people's annuities are safe. And <laughs> that's good. <clears throat> and I said, are, are you in banking? He said, no. And so I kept asking him all these questions <laughs> and he, uh, Finally, the guy that was with us, he said, Kenny, he's an IRS agent. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but he, and well, all during his, his tenure as an IRS agent, he took all of his time. Uh, he was with him 30 plus years to do missions. And Mike's a missionary, a Southwestern seminary graduate. But he just told me, we had our board meeting, our annual meeting here just a few weeks ago. And the story he's telling about the numbers of people coming to Christ and they are seeing thousands upon thousands of people come to Christ. And having gone with Mike on mission four different times to Venezuela, that the salvation experiences that they're reporting, they're documentable, they're legitimate. It's just mm-hmm. not 
you know, people showing up at a rally and uh, raising their hand and saying, yeah, I love Jesus. So he said, unlike anything before, and the, the people are coming to Christ, Venezuela before they had to shut down because it's just so dangerous. But there are a ton of people in Venezuela who are devout Christian. And even though with Maduro now, it's, it's to the point to where it's just too dangerous. But there are so many people that are devout uh, and conservative theologically that believe the Bible that are there and they're overt in their witness. So to God be the glory. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so to me, I mean, that's paramount. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us to before we count things done, let's keep the pan on the, on the, the, the grill and <laughs> let it finish frying. Yeah. Uh, because my hope and prayer is that God is going to shock all of us. And I'm mindful mm-hmm. of the, the, the city of Nineveh that was yeah. a godless and mm-hmm. God told Jonah to go preach to them. And it was out of compassion and mm-hmm. that in the end they repented in sackcloth and ashes. And they even put sackcloth and ashes on their animals yeah. So yeah. they were sincere about their, their repentance. And so we pray that way and ask God to to do a, a work in our world. And I'm praying for a third wave, as, as some have called yes. it, a revival. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, well, brother, it's, it's been great to have you. Uh, is there anything that you want to share before we wrap up? Just a, a closing word? No, just thanks. Um, thank you, uh Kenny, to to you and Susan and your family and what you're doing, uh, Allison and I love you all, and uh, it's uh, it's a it's really a treat to get to see you face to face here, even if it's on a screen. <laughs> well, we love you too. You know that, and I tell you, uh, thank you for watching. And uh, with this, I bid you peace. <laughs>